will keep it so that the sound isn't bleeding. So if my sound is bleeding in. Where does where do I put my headphones? In the headphone jack. In the computer? Yes. Okay. But the microphone's, the microphone's not in there. It's a different input. Okay. Well, you know, girl got to start somewhere. That's why we're going to FaceTime and plug you in at the same time. We're going to do all of that at the same time. And so it begins. In such a noisy, crowded world, how do we find our lanes? How do we mine our pain points for their most beautiful lessons? How do we use our talents to create the change we still believe in? Welcome to The School for Disruptors, a weekly podcast hosted by Drs. Kimberly McLawn and Sarah Goulish. Each episode dives into real, vulnerable conversations about self-awareness, self-definition, and of course, all kinds of disruption. Let's find our audacity. Let's bloom. to hear your do you want to start with your high or your low um I th- uh, wins and struggles I w- can you go first okay I think that what my high is is going to transition really nicely into our focal point for today okay so I feel like my high and my low actually I've had a couple all right let me think about this high this past weekend I got to work on a creative project that was really life-giving and Love those. Yeah, so that was fun. I'm working on launching a course this summer, which we've talked about courses before. And it's been fun. It's I think you and I are so similar. It's just another playground. <laughs> so it, it's been a good place to put my mental energy. So that was fun. Um, got to hang out with my friend Kat, who came in from New York. And then, yeah, so though, you know, we're getting towards the end of the school year. We're doing an in-person concert at the end of the month. And it's a whole lot of logistics that I don't want to do. And every time I rehearse with my group and I'm with kids on the Google Meet and we're wearing masks and we're socially distanced on stage and the stage is half empty, I just want to cry. <laughs> and so yesterday was one of That's those real. days. And I just went home and I told Brandon, I'm like, I feel like there's this low-lying ache in my soul <laughs> just about how teaching has been this year and – there's beautiful things about teaching. There always is. But right now, I just want the school year to end. So that's where I'm at. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it my all until June 15th. But I feel sad about how things are. That's real. And I'm looking forward to in, this, in our time together this season talking about grief. Because I think that that's one word that we've been floating as being something that's like top of mind and top of heart. Yeah. And- but it's been too hard to talk about it every time. Girl, it <laughs> is. And I feel like the more we put it off, there's like a new thing to grieve, which is a new experience in my perception of life. You yep. know, it's like typically, you know, you, there's like one thing you're grieving at a time. And, and then you, you focus, for me, I focus on that. And then there's something new and this is different. So, yes, we will do a deep dive into grief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When we're ready. When, when we're ready. Yeah. Actually, I saw a friend today whose son passed away. Okay. And I had not been ready to talk to her mm-hmm. at all about it. Like, had not actually approached her to be like, can we? And today I, I saw her and I was just like, uh, I think I'm ready to have to sit down and just like have a glass of wine. And she said, I didn't think I was ready either and I think I'm ready now too. Look at like the way that the universe just opens up these moments of readiness if we're ready for them. Yeah, and and yeah. yeah. I mean, it, we'll talk about grief when we talk about grief, but yes. there is so much in terms of time and processing Timing. and – compartmentalizing because you can't process yet and all that stuff so yes yes Mm 
um, you know, my thinking about this, this like checking in on the struggle bus for me was I this week <laughs> because um, I have been feeling like a failure, quite honestly. Like mm-hmm. that's like a, it's a, it's a, a hard thing to feel, a hard thing to communicate, and and I moved through it. It took me about maybe two days of feeling like I was just a failure, and and I think that becomes for me this week. I think it was triggered by like comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, comparative thinking, like looking at other people and like how fast they're moving and what they're doing and the the affirmation they get and the number of followers they have and the number of likes they get. And I was just like, yo, I got to get up off of this. I got to I got to get up off of this. So I put the phone down and went for a three mile hike and met some really dope neighbors that were just like casual conversation, great conversations that came from that. Um, and and I was able to to I mean, I always knew even in feeling like a failure that I'm not really a failure. I also recognize it's a hard thing for other people to even process that I might feel that way ever, I think. It's good that people are hearing you say that. Well, so it's interesting because in the hallway, one of the one of the, my babies from last year was just like, how are you, Dr. McGlon? And I was like, ah, you know, Abby, today I feel like a failure. And and it was it was like an interesting thing. It was an intentional disclosure because it was like, I don't hear a lot of people talking about feeling like a failure and it was just that's the really how I felt and so it just is what it is and then I went for a walk and I worked through it and you know yeah let some stuff go and trying to figure out how I can approach things differently inwardly so that what's happening outwardly doesn't affect me in the same way and that I'm limiting my inputs like so that I'm not as inundated by messaging that is not intended inherently to make me feel like a failure or mm. insufficient but that nonetheless triggers that feeling within me so I got to I mean, I'm working on it. There's also so many vanity metrics oh my at us constantly. So it's easy to perceive success that might not even be success. But And we've talked in season one about this yeah. idea of success, but I still think it's one of those things that we have to constantly keep recalibrating within ourselves. So mm-hmm. I'm, that's one of the things I set up to do as a result of that struggle. was mm-hmm. like, I need to figure out how am I recalibrating my, my metric for success. And, and then one of those metrics for success, I think, is feeling um feeling like I am teaching something that is of some value. And today, in particular, this morning, we were doing like deep dive conversations about apartheid in South Africa. And one of the things I realized even in teaching about South Africa in this moment of of like such um, transparent racial turmoil in in the American experience, like living in that experience in this moment, is that we don't really have a lot of comfort still about talking about about America, and and we never have, right? So it's always easier for us to talk about other countries because it doesn't challenge our own notions of patriotism. But I found this morning that talking about South Africa in this moment, it really, I felt like it produced a different kind of um, visibility for what's happening in America around police brutality, around disparity, around discrimination. Um, in a way that I don't think that my my students would otherwise be ready for. I think it produced a readiness for it that I don't think they'd otherwise be, they wouldn't be down for it, but we could talk about South Africa. And I felt a deep sense of, of a high from recognizing that, and this is the high y'all, that really being, really only being organically in the moment as a teacher, it produces something really magical. And that's when you feel like what you're delivering is being received. That's when you feel like, that as the teacher, that the student is ready for you. And when those that when you get in that organic kind of magical flow where there's that kind of um, cognitive, emotional exchange, because everyone's being present and you're tapping into something that 
that I can see their wheels are just like, they were like, I could see that there were some of them who were really thinking about apartheid in South Africa and thinking about America and thinking about justice. And I, and I think I was just thinking like that this, it was such a, a ripe segue for the conversation that we're gonna have in this second episode of season two, which is around the word justice. So, justice, just behavior or treatment. Such a broad definition. Yeah, what does just mean? Yeah, what does just mean? And I think that part of the reason why there is so much conversation happening, and there's so many reasons why there's so many conversations happening in, in so many different spaces around that are really centered in this notion of justice, even if there is an absence of language for justice, is because the definition is ultimately, one, I feel like it's a little nebulous. It's like, what does that mean? And two, we haven't, we don't have a, we have very few, I would argue, examples of its execution in, in what we've learned about this country. So we could talk about the justice system. We yeah. could talk about what justice feels and means to each of us objectively. We could talk about the language around justice and social media. I think when you brought up justice, the first thing that came to my mind is we've seen a lot lately that is justice for. So language justice for this person who has been unjustly murdered or who has been oppressed. So justice for something and and then an acknowledgement where certain reparations are not justice in the eyes of whoever is calling for justice or who needs to experience justice, which made me think, what even is justice? And what is our collective understanding, if there even is a collective understanding about what it is? I don't know that we do have a shared definition of it. I mean, I think oftentimes we conflate even justice with accountability, and they're different. You know, like some justice is not holding someone responsible for what they did. I think justice is more about like structural elements, and I think that those it's about the des the design of institutions to either uphold a sense of of access and equity and um, and mindfulness for for sh like holding perspectives as equal. Um, and, and writing something, like the, the directional push towards writing something and, and acting with ethos. Um, and and I like having this, the subtext for the definition that I read earlier is a concern for justice, peace, and genuine respect for people. Hmm. And I don't think that that is, you know, I think we're probably so confused about it because we've never really experienced that in America. <laughs> so it's probably like we're, we're, we're actually living in a moment where the notion of justice is suddenly becoming a lens for which we can maybe approach examining culture. Yeah, and maybe it's been slapped on things without having that meaning. So we've lost the inherent idea of what justice means, right? We talk about a justice system. Anyone who has spent any amount of time in a justice system would probably say it's unjust. So Or love someone who spent someone yes. some time in that system or volunteered in that space as an outsider. Um, or been an activist or a scholar in relation to what's happened. And I think that what's happened with the word justice is that it, just like we see other forms of appropriation, I think the word justice has been appropriated by people who are determined to essentially gaslight us into not being able to see the confines and the constructs with clarity. Mm -hmm. So if, if it's been branded as being just, then it's like we can't really necessarily challenge it because we've been told that it must be fair and aspiring to respecting all people genuinely. And I think that that's one of my biggest concerns about eradicating racism is that it's like almost like racism and notions of white supremacy are ultimately, they feel very ghost-like. And, and the problem with something being ghost-like is that 
it, it appears and then it's, there's these, these things that make it seem as though it's disappearing. So it's hard to figure out how to, how to actually exercise the demon mm-hmm. um, that is ultimately like hunting, haunting all of us. Um, but yeah, I, I think that we don't, we don't like, as I, I think about the question too, like if the idea is to aspire to just systems and justice, where does that live in our experiences? Like where have we even individually experienced the sense of justice that we could say that felt like justice, mm-hmm. that felt just? Well, can I take it back a little bit? Yeah. Have you ever been unjustly accused of something? I'm really thinking about this. Um, I have. I've been taken to court over something that was not my fault. And that was my first taste of, I guess, the justice system. I'd never been in a courtroom before or worked with a lawyer or anything. But when I was, um, and I mean, this pales in comparison to some people's experience with the justice system, but it was just my first taste of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was a senior in college, I got in a really bad car accident. I was actually hit by a tractor trailer that sent my car spinning um, on 76. And it spun into a septibus, one of our public transit buses that was full of people. And then I landed on a median. So it was like a three. Tornado. It was a tornado. It was the fact that I made it through and my friend made it through was a miracle because our car was completely battered. But something that happened is at the scene of the crime, the cop I talked to said, you know, the, the truck driver admitted fault. He didn't see you. You were in his blind spot. He hit you, whatever. So I thought, okay, good. I'm in the clear. I'm in the clear. Um, never got a written statement. Never got the cop's name. Didn't think I needed to. Well, um, I started getting sued from people on the bus because technically I had hit the bus, even though it was because of being hit by the truck driver. And then the truck driver's company strong-armed him and made him change his statement. Right. The bus driver changed his statement so that they said I was the one who hit the tr- so I started getting sued for thousands and thousands of dollars by all of these people on the bus. Had to go to court many times. And even was with the truck driver outside of one of you know our meetings in court. And he said, I'm sorry I lied about what happened, but my company made me do it. So wow. even admitted to me in right. the hallway that he had lied. Right. To, you know. And so just being on the line for thousands and thousands of dollars and knowing I was innocent and talking to my lawyer and just being like, I don't understand. Well, how am I even here when this Why is not even what happened? Why am I here? Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and even one of the people who sued me sued me for the emotional trauma of watching me almost die. Girl, I can't. Girl, I mean, I can't. It, and so I would just remember sitting in these courtrooms. I couldn't say but anything. But like imagining that like you're feeling so much grief that you, you decide that it's the person whose who's, who's grief you think you're experiencing is your fault that you're exp- That's a lot. Yes, so a lot and, and I was sitting across the table from her, and they said, is that the woman? And she said, well, I can't look at her because it brings up too much trauma. And I was like, trauma for you? I was the one who almost died, and now you're suing me for money because – but, I mean, that is just a small it is. sliver it is. of the system. But it was in that moment that I was like, this is not fair. And this in is truth, not just. And in truth, the system was doing what it was supposed to do, right? Yes. Which is to bring tr- – this aspiration is to bring the facts to light. Yes. I think part of the struggle is, is that we are living in a situation where – what we've been told is inherently a just system is inherently an unjust system. So even to call it a justice system is 
gaslighting. Like mm-hmm. it, it is like, and I don't know if gaslighting is really the word that is that is best used here, but it's a it is a it's a manipulation because it makes us to believe that what we are experiencing is fair when it in fact is inherently not. And there are so many reasons why it's not. So even when I hear people, and, and you know, and working in the lanes that I move in, we talk. People are talking about this system, and fewer and fewer people are calling it the justice system. They're calling it the criminal system. They're calling it the mm. legal system. But I think that one of the things that we can do in terms of you know, you know, re our 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 own like public rebranding of this of these systems is to take back our, our language around them. Language is powerful. And I think once we start stripping the word justice of uh, situations where we can cognitively recognize it does not live, then we can open up some space for reimagining with a language that actually builds in something that is more true, or at least more accurately reflects the moment that we're in now. Like, should we be aspiring to have a justice system? Um, yeah, that should be an aspiration, but we don't have that right now. Right now we have a criminal system that is flawed for a myriad of reasons. And I think that because the word, I think, the, the place in which we most often hear the word justice is in relation, relation to our criminal system, it actually clouds our ability to even understand what justice is in any situation. Because like the notion of justice is so colored by laws designed by white men to protect white property and white lives that I don't even know if we really can understand a notion of justice divorced of white supremacy, structurally. Hmm. I know that's a lot, y'all. Yeah, I'm gonna take a minute. <laughs> like, and so I was, yeah, yeah, like so one more time, like if our notion of justice is, of, and of justice in this system, in this landscape that is America, it comes most frequently through a description of our criminal system, which we know is inherently unjust, in part because it was designed to protect the lives and property disproportionately, almost exclusively, of white men, right? That's who created it, that's who built the courts, that's who've been the judges, that's who've been the lawyers, that's who've been the, you know, all of the record keepers, Mm -hmm. is a system that is designed in this context, can it ever be just? How will how long will it take to make it just? And in the meantime, you know, how does it cloud our ability to even understand what justice is? And I would argue it clouds it significantly. I think that's a good argument. And I think about these words a lot, too, as a parent when we're talking about. So this is slightly different, but what's just and what's equitable and what's fair you know, they're, they're not the same words. They can't be used interchangeably, but I think they all kind of live in a similar space. And so, you know, my son, who is six, is in this phase where he's like, that's not fair. Everything's about fairness. And he has this, hilarious, you know, very, my sister's got 20 minutes of screen time and I only got 19. That's not fair. Is he counting it, like for real? Oh, he is so bent on fairness. And I've heard this about first children i don't know if this is a thing but that i mean i'm a first child so i'm gonna really scrutinize right, yeah, this start thinking about whether <laughs> you are thinking about fairness all the time so he is always i am a libra too so it's like i got some there's a i don't know what that means <laughs> that's for next well maybe we should do an episode on the horoscope yeah you can explain it to me i'll try so, yeah i'm a novice but yes he is really and norris is really into he's into fairness and justice yeah. And, and I feel like there's two knee-jerk reactions. The one is just the life's not fair. Get right. over it, right? Life's not fair, which isn't helpful in right. that moment. Right. But then the other thing is, yeah, it, it, it doesn't feel fair to you. But as your parents, we're making this choice or whatever because this is what we think is right it's, in this moment. So do you think justice means fair? I don't. So that's the thing. 
if we look at something like justice for George Floyd, right? Yeah. Which we just sat through the trials and we just sat through, you know, witnessing not only the verdict, but then awful things happening in our country simultaneously with this verdict, right, against black lives. And other black folk being killed by police officers in the same week. Exactly. the next day. Exactly, right. So when we say justice for someone, it isn't necessarily, if we think that bringing um, that case to justice is someone being charged with murder, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If that's the working definition. That's not fair, because fair is someone not having lost their life in the first place. So I think what's hard with justice is even if quote unquote justice is served, the only reason there's a need for justice is because there's been wrongdoing. And so the wrongdoing comes, you know, for so many different reasons, but if there is a system set up that it's commonplace for certain types of wrongdoing, then justice might be might happen far before the courtroom. It would. It's in reforming the systems that are allowing the wrongdoing to exist in the first place or and maybe that the conditions could... whereby they become normalized right so it's like to your point it's like how do we better deal with equity issues when it comes to, to access right yeah. to the extent that some of this violence is caused simply as a response to poverty like our outcomes of pro- poverty criminality linked to poverty or you know how or, or an absence of mental health supports which leads to these other homicidal suicidal thoughts that lead to this violence and i totally totally agree with you and i think it's also worth observing that there are other cultural traditions that don't center the accountability in this in the post as being a measure in the ways that we think of it as being like the repair being done like that the justice to your point is not that the life is restored mm-hmm. it's that you know someone spends all this time in jail presumably right or they lose yeah. their job they lose their titles they lose their connections to their family that's the punishment that's going to somehow make it right right which is what justice is supposed to aspire to to make it right but i was reading and this is maybe about two years ago actually about a culture um, on the continent of Africa, where the justice is, and this we've seen these cases in other places, particularly across Africa, specifically in Rwanda and South Africa, where the tradition of justice is an acknowledgement of the wrong that's been done, and a, and a working with the parties that have caused damage and the people who have been harmed for them to navigate what would repair look like instead of it being an arbitrary set of responses that are triggered by precedence. Mm. You know, where it's like, it's deeply personal. It's like the harm that has been done is between you and I. Mm. So instead of me imposing this system that says justice is, you will pay me this X amount because there's a formula. It's like, no, Sarah, this is the harm I experience. And you acknowledge that harm. And then you offer, I acknowledge that harm. I am sorry, I seek your apology. How can I repair it? And then we, we negotiate together in a different spirit about how do we actually move forward so that we don't leave the circumstance with lingering harm on both sides. Yes. Yes, restorative justice. Right. And you know what? We just had some students this past year who were uh, really negatively affected by some anti-Asian hate. Well, I mean, that is a gross understatement, but... We'll, we've we'll, t- we'll put it that way. We'll put it that way. And... Um, I remember talking to one of my students who said, this apology feels hollow. This apology doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel good for me. You know, trying to dig into whether the apology was honest or not. And the answer was, we, we don't know if someone's apology is honest. We can't get inside their brain and their heart. We, all we know is what they say to us. But for you, what would feel good for you? 
as someone who has been harmed, as someone who has been affected by this. And she said, I would just love to be able to have a conversation and tell them how it's hurt me. And, you know, I, I think sometimes we think when we hear people calling for justice and, and they don't seem, you know, happy enough or that whatever happened is good enough, we don't do enough of just asking them, like, what would justice feel like for you? Or what what can you imagine being the most just thing? If we can't go back in time, we can't erase this terrible act, what would feel good for you right now? Or what do you feel like is a step in the right direction? And I thought that answer was really mature. And I said, we need to make that happen. There needs to be a way for that to happen. But that's that tradition of like the, the peace and reconciliation, where it's like you repair the damage. And this works for all of our relationships, whether like with our children or our siblings or our lovers. It's like, how do we acknowledge the fullness of someone's suffering by just creating space for them to disclose it? Yeah. And you asked earlier, you know, well, I mean, 15 minutes ago, like, <laughs> had you ever, you know, been a victim of something that was unjust? Mm-hmm. And I didn't have like a, an immediate answer. And, and then as you were talking about these circumstances of, of this, these kids talking about recognizing that that they've been harmed, I thought about being a victim, a, a victim survivor, I don't know, having experienced sexual assault. And, and thinking back to being, I was 15 when it happened, to thinking about like, you know, there were so many years where I wanted there to be some accountability. Like I didn't, there was no notion in my mind of justice. It was just like, I wish that he would be held accountable. And he went on with his life. And I'm sure it's, I'm sure like every, everyone else's life, there was suffering and there was sadness and there was loss and, and all those things that he experienced those things. But I, I never stopped wondering or fi- wanting for there to be some sense of accountability mm-hmm. where it's like, and I don't know if that would come through me confronting him and being like, I want you to to acknowledge what you did. I don't know if that would get me to a place of feeling like I had been dealt with, um, with a sense of justice. But I think that for people who have been harmed, part of the healing is in being able to have their experience at least be affirmed. And I think that so often that's what justice is, is justice is creating the conditions for people to, to share, to disclose with vulnerability and courage that they have been harmed and then to offer up in a bold move of like, of that goes back to that word of radical vulnerability, someone else, the ability to say, I acknowledge that, how do I fix it? And in, in my attempt to create an, a, a sense of, 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 um, of, of right. And I don't think that we, we don't have, we don't, that's modeled for us so poorly in our contemporary um, cultural tradition. Mm. Is that something you still think about? That there is somebody potentially living their life who caused so much harm to someone else, to you? No, I I made peace with it. I think it's because, I mean, therapy certainly helped help me make some of the peace with it. Shout out to therapy, especially right now. (laughs) If you can afford it, if you can have access to it, if you can get it, shout out to everybody who is a therapist. That's what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. They've got a lot on their plate They've right now. They've got a this lot. This past year. <laughs> They've got a lot. Shout out to all the Shout therapists. Shout out to my therapists. Shout out to the social workers, the yes. psychologists, the psychiatrists. Shout out to the priests and the pastors. And the teachers. And the teachers. <laughs> Shout out to the counselors. 
if you have to deal with people's hard stuff right now, you're shout amazing. out to you. Um, <laughs> so you've made peace with it. Therapy yeah, I made helped. peace with it. Yeah, I, I, therapy helped, and I think the other thing that actually helped was was actually being in community with non toxic men mm. who could like create space to hear it and to 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 feel it in their bodies and and in the ways in which because they cared about me the ways in which they were able to receive my hurt it actually was very healing for me to recognize that there were the there were this i don't know what it, it was like something mythical or mysterious or it was like somehow that idea that there that men were not a monolith mm-hmm. that was very like disrupting that notion of the people who have caused you harm as being a monolith i think is really helpful and i think that that's one thing we think about even racialized justice or sex i mean racialized violence or sexualized violence and when i say racialized violence i mean like black folks who have been harmed by white folks or black folks who've been harmed by other black folks or you know like you've been robbed and you have to get over that robbing even though it was done by you know who that who that person was who caused that harm to you mm-hmm. i think that the way to move through the world beyond that trauma is to recognize that even though there was an actor who lived in this body in this world in this way it is not an indicator of the totality of people who live in the world in that way and for me in addition to therapy and prayer um, it was really like just being dealt with like sharing, you know, with, with women and sharing with men who created some space for me to let it go a little bit and to, to, to let go of a sense of needing some accountability. Mm-hmm. And I do think ultimately, I heard this is my personal kind of faith-based, I guess, um, belief that, that there is always accountability in, in one way or another. Like, I just think that things that they just you know, accountability. I believe that it's a core thing. Like, I believe that there is forces of good and light. I believe that there's also some other metrics in which things just kind of work themselves out. And I and I choose to surrender to that because that brings me comfort. Mm-hmm. I think that's encouraging and beautiful. I want to talk about disruption and justice since this is the School for Disruptors and you just brought up disrupting it feels like we have so much more power and a platform now with social media than we've ever had. But I think there's also a feeling of helplessness in the fact that so few people are actually in power and so many people are you know, forced to accept whatever the powers that be decree. And so when it comes to justice and the justice system, you know, you are a councilwoman. You are way more tapped into your community and the inner workings of your community. What power do we have in reforming the justice system as like regular everyday people? That's a beautiful question. I think that um, I I don't I think that there are some things that we can do as like acts of daily activism if 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 trying to figure out how to use our time and talents to show up in that direction are part of what we aspire to, right? Like, so it's like, there's philanthropy, right? So you can make donations to nonprofits, like the Youth Sentencing and Reentry Project is one example, phenomenal organization here in Philadelphia. That's one way you can like use philanthropy to do that. You can donate books to books through bars. If, if issues of criminal system inequity and injustice is something that is, you're, that is like triggering for you, or you know, you feel called to kind of get behind, you can, donate books there. You can get your friends to do some book raises where you guys collectively donate books. Um, and you can you can also, you know, be ed- educate ourselves as a, as a very, as a teacher, as teachers, you know, seeking education and, and then using that education to teach other people, right? Like empowering ourselves through knowledge to, to do what we can all do, which we, we talked about this in season one, we can all be teachers is another way of being actively involved. But I think beyond that, 
I think when we put too much pressure on, and I don't even know if pressure is the right word. I think when we when we when we when we center our hopelessness in the actions or inactions of other people, we disempower ourselves. Mm. So it's not so much that we are. It's not so much that we are. You know. We are party to the, the problem, but we strip ourselves of power by being by just conditioning ourselves to think that that the solution will come when someone runs for office. The solution will come when those people in Harrisburg pass those laws. Yeah, that's a part of the solution. But the other part of the solution, if the real aspiration is justice, is us really turning our own inward compass towards in our own daily lives treating people with a sense of justice. You know, like it means like. When you are tipping someone, be fair, recognizing that they likely don't make a living wage. When you are working with the post office, you know, and, and there's a long line and, and there's a need for you, you feel like you want to get impatient, recognizing that they're working with a set of constructs that may make them have a little bit of struggle. It's really, for me, justice is about grace. And I think that that's something that we can all act with more of every day that doesn't require a legislative, political, performative response to. Can we just get that audio <laughs> clip? You need to stop. Like, I just want a button in my classroom where I can just play it when I need to. You need to stop. I love that you talk about, oh my gosh, so many good things in there. I'm not going to ruin it by interpreting it in another way, but I love the idea of really thinking about the people we interact with on a daily basis and seeing them as human, as humanizing them, through their stories. And that is this idea, which is, you know, it's a new, it's a new real concept for me, but it's a real core one, which is, is so old in the Western psyche, zeitgeist, which is love thy neighbor, right? Which is like loving someone else as you love yourself and, and treating them even when you're exhausted. You know, we are all so exhausted, so drained, so just over it all, like over time, over masks, over work, over Zoom. We're over so many things. If we can find in the wells, the bottom of those wells of our emotional fortitude, that word grace, that word of like, I want to be treated with grace. I want to be treated with a sense of, you know, of, of a positive assumption that I'm doing my best and offer that to other people. That is justice. That is justice. And the beauty in that is it can always happen. Even and if we don't offer grace in the moment, we can always go back and offer it again because we're gonna make mistakes. <laughs> and we're not gonna, you know, because we're not, we're gonna be flawed in our thinking or, you know, our intentions will be colored by whatever our temporary emotional state is. We have countless opportunities to also do some of that reconciliation work, mm -hmm. you know, which is hard. But I think that in, in reconciling with folks, and this is what I wish Americans would do, this is what I wish white Americans were able to do more openly, is like we liberate ourselves you know, like we are still stuck in this, this, this like cyclone of racial, racialized violence, terrorism, tension, inequity, injustice, fear, largely because white folks have not liberated themselves from the haunting that they are still experiencing with a longer held cultural tradition of abusing people. Mm -hmm. But if there could be some sense of like, I seek to, this is for white folk particularly, if I seek to liberate myself from that, the darkness of that thinking because it makes me feel anxious all the time, 
because it stops me from having some bomb ass friends because it limits my ability to try new foods or to be able to dance freely. You know, if there could be that kind of cultural. You're just describing me. <laughs> she needs to get, <laughs> cut <yeah>. it out. <laughs> but I think if that, that, yeah. that they're in, in seeking justice in that, from that lens, yeah. justice is about liberation. Mm -hmm. It's all, it's also, it's about accountability. It's also about liberation. Yeah. I've, I have felt more liberated as a person since we've been friends. That's real. It is real. That's real. And if you're listening to this episode right now, there's been a lot of eyes closing and pointing <laughs> and raising of hands. So Some hallelujah -like like, yeah. moments going on. There's been a lot of that. It's been good. Um, I think it's a good segue into thinking about what we would tell our kids about justice I'll go first because what you're going to say is going to be you more to, magical. See, there you go. I'm telling you, you're on a roll today. <laughs> I'm going to let you preach. Okay, and I'm going to preach a word, y'all. <laughs> I think focusing on grace is so important. So I'm going to think about what do I tell my kids as a parent and what do I tell my kids about in school, you know, my students. My children, um, I think I just want to talk about it a lot. I want to talk about justice and ask them questions. I want them to notice injustice. Um, you know, we were driving the other day and out of nowhere Norris goes, I think we need to make a really big Black Lives Matter poster to put in our window. Out of nowhere. Out of, well, I, seemingly I mean, out of seemingly nowhere. out of nowhere. Yeah, right. we're just driving in the car. Isn't and I that, was that's like, wild. I was like, Norris, why, why do you think we should do that? He's like, because I think people need to know that's true. And I said, what made you think of that? And he's like, oh, I saw a poster while we were driving. And in that moment, I thought, this is what we want. We want conversations to continue that don't just end, you know. And, and Norris, my boy, his birthday is May 25th. That is the date that George Floyd was murdered. That will always be part of his when I think of his birthday I will never not think of that and he will never not think of that exactly but this idea that that's why that's also wild I know I know it, it really is wild for many, many reasons. reasons but mm -hmm. you know having these conversations where we are seeing injustice and we're not tying it up in a pretty bow is so important for me with my children and 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 to really to recognize our part in reconciliation, to recognize our part in offering grace, and to seeing stories over rules, I think is so important. Because it's very easy for us to, to see the world as black and white and not to see nuance. And so many of these issues have nuance because they involve people that are nuanced and complicated. Um, yeah, and I think that's what I would tell my students too. Yeah, same thing. Um, I... I love Norris. It's, I love the stories of sweet children who, in part because of their parents' um, commitment to exposing them and creating space to having you know, challenging conversations where there does need to be some nuance um, and there does need to be some meeting kids with our language where they are, um, they emerge. They, they begin to emerge as these change agents in the making. And, and that, is, that gives me hope, right? Because there, there are all these children who will need to have allies who come from very different sets of circumstances, who are aspiring through their own intentionality about pursuing justice in their daily lives and acting with grace all the time, who will help them to survive a landscape that is really bent on their, on their destruction, ultimately.
Um, and I think that that's one of the things that I will tell my own daughter and, and all of the people who are trying to figure out, you know, in, in community with me, particularly those of them who are young, who are children, who are kids, that, you know, it's very, it's very easy to look outward in terms of deciding, you know, where to, where to cast the blame and who to be angry with. And there is a time and a place for that. And there is a commitment to that. That is a particular kind of outward facing marathon. I argue that's an easier one. The harder marathon, which is the work we all have to do all the time, and that is all of us, I am included in that, is we have to really put at the center of our daily actions an aspiration to act with grace, to, to act with a sense of, of recognition of, of the complexities of other people's lives and to just have some patience. And I think that, you know, like that, that work of trying to live justice in our tone, living with a sense of justice in our gaze, when who we shop with and where we go and how we spend our money um, and how we vote, that is where, that is the harder work. And I think once, once we all kind of bring more and more people into, a, into the, that call to action, that inward call to action, that's how we're gonna arrive at an ever more um, just lived experience in, in this, the wilderness that is America. Beautiful. School for Disruptors is recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It's engineered and produced by us with music by the work O'Shea. You can catch up with O'Shea at It's Pronounced O'Shea on Instagram. And you can catch up with us there at School for Disruptors. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, recommendations, or just want to tell us what stood out to you about the show, please send us an email, theschoolfordisruptors at gmail.com. And thanks for being here.